Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Cold Case Criminals. We're your hosts, Hannah, Haley, and Gabe. Today, we will be delving into the Central Park Jogger case from 1989 and taking a look at the, at the Central Park Five, a best-selling novel by Sarah Burns. The events of the Central Park Jogger case occurred on April 19, 1989, when Trisha Maley was brutally raped and beaten, being left for dead. Two passers-by found her body the next day and reported it to the cops, who charged five black and Latino boys to the crime whom they had found that night. These boys were coerced into admitting the crime and were sentenced. However, over a decade later, with new technology, DNA tests connected the murder to serial rapist Matias Reyes. So with that, what parts of the book stood out to you guys the most? To me, I was really interested in the way she chose to start the book. She started by mentioning the kids' backgrounds. Um, Raymond Santana, his family is from Puerto Rico, and Yusuf Salam, Corey Wise, Kevin Richardson, and Anton McRae were all described as African-Americans with a great, strong build. And just immediately mentioning race in a time where race was a big, big controversy, it kind of just like sets up the book knowing that these kids are going to get apprehended for a crime that they didn't do. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the media, especially with we know how how race was treated at that time. Like on page 69, it mentions that uh, one of the New York Times uh, head articles for when all this went down was Wolf's Pack, Wolf Pack's Prey, Nightmare in Central Park. They didn't even refer to them as humans. They referred to them as wild animals. And I feel like you mentioned it being like the press, the media. I feel like that does a really big like it plays a really big part in this because it it really solidifies racism not just among normal people but also it's influencing racism through this outlet because i mean media really influences people and what they because it's what they see every day it's really what it what form it's what forms their opinion exactly and it kind of the media set them up to be guilty before they were even proven if or given the chance to plead for their innocence so not only did the media throw these kids under the bus saying that they were immediately guilty but so did the cops from the second the cops found them they knew that they had done something something was up they they were fishy yeah and i i don't i would assume that this is based on race but the cops had already apprehended these kids for crimes that they did commit. And after receiving this report of somebody, just some random person in the middle of Central Park having been beaten brutally, and they had immediately gone to these kids assuming that they had done it as well. I mean, all in reason just because they were in Central Park as well. Like lots of people in a day go to Central Park. So to immediately assume just because these people were at Central Park means that he did it is wrong. Yeah, and well, these kids had already been at the station for over 10 hours, I think it said, before the jogger was found, and then they made them stay even longer for long interrogations without, with a lack of food, lack of water, lack of sleep. A kid was described as being as slouching in his chair, unable to comprehend because of how tired he was. Yeah, and this, I I feel there's 
a really close tie between these cops and the media because the media is presenting these kids as being less than human and then the cops are treating them as less than human. And from a legal standpoint, while I'm no expert, obviously, when especially seeing that in like Kevin's interview and like all the different interviews, the cops were taking their parents or legal guardian out and then continuing to yell barrage and threaten threaten them, which they're not allowed to do because they're minors. Yeah, I feel like these guys, these cops are using their authority to kind of bend the rules. Yeah, and all they want is to force these kids to admit to something that they didn't do. And the kids thought that if they did admit to it, that they would be sent home. They just, they just wanted to go home. But these cops forced them to admit to a rape and a beating that they did not commit and then sentenced them. And these kids went along with it. They weren't like, up until their trial, they weren't trying to plead not guilty. So even after being like switched from precinct to precinct, having these interrogation, like these formal interrogations having done, like they're just, it, it seems like they're kind of stuck. And, and I the, mean, I can't imagine it was easy knowing the time that they're in, they're already, their life is already difficult enough. They just want to go home. Their main focus is wanting to go home, but they're already going to be, I mean, they must be tired too because of all that they had already dealt with and then having to fight more in court. I mean, it must have been exhausting. Yeah. After the cops had finished these brutal interrogations, they forced the kids to sign statements. But the very controversial thing is that none of these statements matched. Yeah, the, the, the descriptions here are entirely mismatched, especially the clothing. These kids are giving entirely different descriptions, not only from each other, but from what Maylee was actually wearing at the time of the crime. I mean, even to the physical place that it happened at, they couldn't match up where anything happened. Yeah, and especially since the cops knew that these kids, like, weren't there because they, A, weren't describing what she looked like correctly, or where it even happened correctly, like, they should have put two and two together, but they were so blinded by the fact that these kids were um, an inferior race, and they were deemed, you know, unhuman, that they didn't care that their stories didn't match up because they knew that everybody else would believe them. Yeah, and also, something that didn't match was who each kid described as being accomplice to the crime. Who, com like, who performed the rape or who did the beating. It's all different among all these kids. Yeah, in the book, um, Sarah Burns um, describes how each kid, uh, or describes what each kid wrote in their statement. And she describes what happened from the start of the rape to the end of the rape and it was completely different through all of the boys and i think the biggest thing is based on what we read in the book we know she was it was brutal what happened to her she was bloody she didn't even look like a female she didn't look like a person 
And the biggest flaw that I don't understand how the cops didn't pick up is when they picked these boys up and all through their interrogations, they were wearing the same clothes they had worn that night. Well, there's not a single drop of blood or anything that would tie back to Trisha Maitley. So how they could justify that they were the ones who did it with not anything linking them to the crime other than made up evidence, it's troubling. Yeah. And I feel like they kind of have, they have a lot of leeway here because this is in the late 80s. We don't have a lot of technology that we do now to take these pieces of DNA from the scene and figuring out who they belong to. So they don't have, they, they don't have this concrete piece of evidence. So they're able to kind of bend that a little bit so that they can say that these kids did it, even though that's still up in the air. Well, and I mean, a big thing was Corey. His statement changed three times in the course of hours. And the it went from being him placing that he was not there to him being behind a tree witnessing it, but not actually being a part of it, to being a direct witness to actually participating. So how he had to jump through every single thing just for the cops to get him to say what they wanted him to say. Like, a big thing was he also mentioned that she was cut by a knife. She wasn't cut by a knife. Her inner leg work, she said, he said she was cut. She wasn't even cut. Yeah, the author describes her as being beaten with a brick. So I think after that little analysis that we did, (laughs) I think it's about time that we get into the literary elements that Burns uses in the book because I feel like there's a lot here to unpack starting with dramatic irony it's one of the main overarching strategies I guess of the book because we know what's going to happen from reading the back and from reading the beginning but the people who are there experiencing it during these moments don't know and I think it's an interesting way how she wrote that, how she conveyed it, because it's like a personal, like, okay, we know what's going to happen, but it's, I don't know, it's so interesting, and it's very well written in that sense. It it's almost makes it seem suspenseful. Like, we're just waiting for the moment that they find out that they've been tricked, too. Yeah, and there's also, there's a lot of, like... I don't know if you would really call it juxtaposition, but Burns really goes back and forth between these stories of what's going on with the victim as well as what's happening with the suspects and what's happening in the precinct, which is also a time skip because these things are happening at two different times. And it just, it gives you a different perspective on what was happening that day through different people. Like, the parents were doing something different. They were, like, just worried for their children. And the boys were being heavily interrogated, whereas Trisha Maylee was just trying to stay alive. Well, and it's also interesting that she brought up everyone's lives, except for Matias Reyes, the actual rapist, well, rapist slash murderer, but he didn't actually murder her. But it's just interesting how she didn't bring anything up to do with him yet. Yeah, I feel like that's something to build suspense because at different points of the story, you're not entirely sure about how it's going to unfold. 
and I feel like it, it kind of builds suspense not knowing what's happening with this criminal during the time of the investigation. So with that, I think we're gonna have to wrap it up. Sorry for leaving you guys on a cliffhanger. If you want to learn more about the case, you can read The Central Park Vibe by Sarah Burns. Or simply tune into next episode. See you later. Bye. Bye.